Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. It's a Bitcoin Podcast. by Gibbs. You know what time it is. It's time for the Bitcoin podcast. Um, so my name is D. I'm the host of Talks First and we have a special guest host uh, and he'll be frequently a guest host for the unforeseeable future. No, I'm kidding. For about the next, I don't know, four to six weeks as Poco Petty enters the world. Uh, <laughs> all right. We all know tiny Corey Petty is having a tinier Petty with his amazing wife. And MMA Petty says, you better watch out. Yeah. And uh, he is on paternity leave from the podcast for a little while. So congratulations to them. Um, it's probably going to have red hair, starkingly red hair, just like Corey does. So another redheaded child has entered the earth uh or will enter the earth i think aaron is like right she's on the cusp she's about to pop so we've brought in the wayne mr yes the crypto himself uh wayne the floor is yours you can introduce yourself and get acquainted uh with uh with the audience well hey d it's good to join you once again i just love the adoption message you know it's a it's a real big family show with adoption being the you know Adoption is important and adoption mm -hmm. is family. So that's the kind of adoption you're talking about, right? Adoption. It is, man. Uh, thank you for reminding me. Like we used to say adoption is the only thing that matters. And it still is. Just a second. My dog is deciding to have a buffet right next to me with his toy. Hey, dog. Lando. Stop. That's going to work. I know it's going to work. And... um that's right. But you've had a dog for what a month now, month and a half, yeah, maybe a solid month and a half. He likes to chew on his toys when I'm recording and no other time other than that. He's just trying to bug me. But as soon as I start recording, he's like, oh, cool. Oh, cool. You're recording. Let me go ahead and just gnaw on this loud ass bone right next to the mic. Well, you're making noises, so he needs to make noises. Ah, so he's going to follow I'm the big, leader. I'm a big dog fan. He's going to follow the leader. And cat. Um, sorry, audience. Um, where was I, Wayne? Where were we? What were we doing? So, Corey is having a kid. Yep. And you don't want to be alone because of personal issues. So I'm joining you <laughs> once again. And so uh, I'm Yes to Crypto, uh, first name Wayne. I'm in the Slack. So if you are listening to this and you've not joined the Slack, 
the collaborative chatting, information sharing, sometimes trolling platform. Go in there and you can ask questions. Lots of people will give you lots of different opinions. I love the Slack. I'm not in there as much as I'd like, but that's a lot of things in life. So it's a it's a great place to kind of hang out and just share things or ask questions. And then the, the neat thing is you have a wide variety of, you know, you have neophytes and you've got experts, you've got opinionated people, you've got strong knowledge and technical, you know, all over the place. So it's it's a it's a nice diverse corner of the world where you can go and and mostly talk crypto and then there's some non-crypto you know channels and things but I, I think it's a great place to build a community and i think that's that's important for adoption is you know crypto is not just for you know people who want to be sovereign and people who want to be on their own but i think the, the community aspect is very important perfect that's perfect it's <laughs> a perfect explanation I mean, come okay, and join next, the Slack. Next time, uh, next time, I'm going to bring a soundboard, and we'll have wars. <laughs> you want good. to? Let's do it. Let's do it. I just got my soundboard up and running, like the, the split second before we recorded. I was like, "Oh yeah," I, I thought I had to do this heavy fix, but then I remembered. I was like, "Oh, I just got to push a button." Um, so, yeah, adoption. It's the only thing that matters, and I'm glad you called a family show away. And when you told me personally to my face in real life that we curse too much and it's hard for you to listen with your kids. Well, um, <laughs> like, like I would, you know, we've had other conversations like that, and I, I try not to proactively complain. I'd rather just put my attention somewhere else. So when I encounter things I don't like. Uh, I, I might address them because I think that's important to be direct, but I, I'm not going to make an, I, I'm going to try to not make an issue out of it. So I'll just, I'll go somewhere else. And if adoption is the only thing that matters, then I think that having a consumable message should be one of the top, you know, pieces, but that is difficult when you're trying to juggle being marketable, being consumable, and also being yourself. Because mm -hmm. as you talked about a couple episodes ago, I think you were mimicking your dad and the Coinbase and the fees and, you know, trying to explain forks and he's mad. And of course, you know, all of your impressions, which Corey had verified as accurate, you know, were laced with a lot of profanity. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, that has a place and I'm not saying you need to not have any profanity. It's just when it is any aspect that might um, reduce adoption. It might be considered something that you curtail. And it's just, it's a discussion point, right? And it's not a, absolutely, you know, not something that, you know, needs to be handled necessarily. Yeah. Uh, that is my dad. He's colorful and he, he, he was a military man. So he has a different entire vocabulary just for curse words that he can pull out at a moment's notice. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I do understand that. A, a lot of my family's military. I was military. And there is a completely different language depending on the platoon <laughs> or the group that you're in. The curse words are so creative. Outside of the box. Um, so for the round table today, um, I wanted to talk about, I don't know, obviously it's Bitcoin and crypto related, but it does seem like, you know, over time, there's going to be some major, there are some major contenders to Bitcoin on a technical level 
that stand to usurp it, or if not usurp it, Bitcoin then stops becoming the ze- the the one the first layer, and these other technologies are the zero layer. Um, and there are some examples out there, but I wanted to sa- kind of talk about like or not not talk about but like let's put our prediction caps on this weekend and like try to think about what happens to the space overall if that does happen like you know bitcoin had all of these great ideals that were easy to subscribe to however the technical execution of those ideals we found is a little bit muddy i don't know do you so can you get can you double click into that so what ideals used to be there that are no longer there um so the the biggest seller for me was the like oh it's free like I could send this transaction for free, and I okay, guess cheap relative transactions, right? yeah. cheap transactions, and I I guess that was relatively true when I first got in back 2013, 20, 2012, 2013, in that that week that winter, and it was like oh this is this is stupid easy like uh, you know I, it's rough around the edges like nobody's gonna remember this Bitcoin address, but. That's no different than an IP address that got converted into an email address through what is it, the SMTP pro? I don't know all these protocols, but <laughs> you know, it you know, it's no different than that. And so, I was okay. I was okay with that, but um, we come to find out almost ten years, eight years later, that they're not cheap transactions actually, and they're only cheap relative to relative to who needs the transaction to occur and one more limiter and for now so just like the internet where it's it's a congestion issue it's a congestion a congestion scale and growth so when dial-up happened you could only do certain things and then people used up all that bandwidth then isdn came around and the people was the congestion happened there and it's like well you know I, I how come i can't do this 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 and that and the other and then isdn got filled up and then t1s were expensive that was one and a half meg and then that got filled up i mean or you had pris before that then you got broadband then you got fiber there's there's always something to drive the technological adoption and there's always room, there's always going to be someone to fill the capacity of what you have. So I see fees as that because fees are directly fighting for space within the limited capacity of the blockchain that Bitcoin has. And the miners picking and choosing which transactions should go in to that block. So we're in the same space as when people try to do video chat over a single BRI in ISDN. It just wasn't enough. You had to do three BRIs together to get a full screen video chat. And so the rich people had video chat and the poor people had blotchy three frame per second video chat. Now, nobody at the time was complaining, oh, this is a problem. You know, this isn't fair or this isn't what I expected. The problem was the expectations were set wrong. When people try to do video chat, over low bandwidth connections, it sucked. And it had to wait until the demand was high enough and the people can invest the technology and the infrastructure to make it better. I mean, people love to complain about the phone companies 
and the in internet companies, but they are the ones who laid the copper that could bring telephones to pretty much every corner of the world. And then, you know, now phones, you know, very few people have landlines and copper phones, but that infrastructure is still there. So it seems to be a kind of a give it to me attitude where if people understood a little bit more about the technical and the technological underpinnings of what makes things happen, then I think they'd realize, well, if you have your expectations set right, that fee is what it is because of you know X factor and Y factor and Z factor. And then I think then it leads to what you're talking about is, okay, well, uh, screw the reasons why, I'm gonna go get something that works. I'm gonna use PayPal, I'm gonna use Venmo, I'm gonna use my Visa card. I just got my crypto.com card in yesterday. And the adoption part is where, if you're talking about Bitcoin being usurped, then I think it's more, more about, okay, what will happen with people's education? How will people know about what's going on with Bitcoin and what accounts for the fees? And I think that is what can really help more adoption is getting people to understand, you know, what's, what's behind it. Yeah. I think Visa is ready and poised to strike on a message that, Hey, you want to use Bitcoin? Do it over Visa. I think they're just well, waiting for enough time. Yeah. I've seen that card. In fact, that's the same yeah, one I wanted to order for the, Oh man, it looks so sleek. It's, it's super and it's heavy and it's, I mean, that's going to help adoption. Just, you know, it's just, it's just really nice. Um, and and, and it's Visa, right? It's a Visa debit card. You yeah. load it with crypto. Uh, you can also load it with USD. And it's a debit card. It's not a credit card. So it actually, just by using it, people will have to live within their means kind of thing. Where mm -hmm. a credit card expands your capital available, you get into debt, it makes it easy. I mean, credit cards have won the adoption battle because they made it easy for people to get into debt. You swipe a card or with your Apple or your Android, you do NFC or you just, you wave a wand, you wave your Apple watch mm -hmm. and then you spend the money. Crypto by its nature educates more people about what money's about if, if they want to learn, but it's not easy to use yet. So I think part of what you're talking about is if you're talking about either replacement for Bitcoin or alternatives to Bitcoin, there's both the currency side, which is ease of use, but you also are talking about zero layer, which seems to more like a different protocol underlaying everything. Is that where you, when you go to zero layer? Yes. Further? Absolutely. I think that um, I had one, I had an interesting conversation with the guest, uh, Dr. Emin Gunzreer, uh brilliant man. Uh, but it, it just seems that the more robust a network is, is dependent upon its lowest layer. Um, sure. And, you know, that's, that's a little bit over my head, quite honestly, because I don't even know what the lowest layer of the Internet is. But at least I know it's damn good if, we've, you know, we're able to have this video call and audio is coming through crystal clear. And I got Facebook on the other thing going. I got. I think a video game just running idle. I've got 30,000 tabs. Like all this is happening all at the same time. So the, the bottom layer of the internet has to be pretty damn good. So 
Um, but for Bitcoin, if the bottom layer is already constricted and compact and there's already so much controversy, then maybe there's a layer under it that either provides for faster transactions that are free or provides for finality under the 60 sec under the 60 minutes or, or that six confirmations, uh, which is kind of the rule of thumb. Even that's kind of a gray area. But there's a technology that is a thousand times better. Or, or what about strictly uh, throughput? Better. Better is a word that is charged right that's right. better at what right you it might be faster it might be cheaper it might be uh, it's the it's the typical trilemma where good fast cheap pick two well with cryptocurrency or financial transactions you know good fast secure or um fast cheap and secure were the three things mm -hmm. right whatever you do Whatever you compromise in one strengthens, um, or whatever you increase in one could take away from one or yeah, both. Yeah, could the compromise. Other two. Yeah. So there's got to be a sweet so, spot. But be be careful with the word "better" because uh, I'm sorry for my shaking shaking there. The better at what? So yeah. if you say there's a technology that's a thousand times better, can you double click into that? What What are you talking about? Me for me, it's transactions per second. I I think that crypto gets closer to those ideals when it's cheap and it's fast and secure and it has the the throughput that's needed to take take over the visas of the world, or not take over the visas of the world. At least make them upgrade their antiquated systems to use. So doesn't this protocol. lightning isn't uh, so from a technical technical level. You know, Bitcoin is more like Swift and the the final settlement between the banks, which are you know currently takes two to three days. So when you mm -hmm. swipe your when you swipe your Visa card, you as a consumer and the and the supplier, there's not just an implicit trust that this will happen. There's a company that has a, a track record to say I'm going to make this right if there's a problem, and and there's a fee for that, two to three percent is you're making it fast for the merchant to get a consumer in, making it fast for the consumer to pay and get their gear. And then in the back end, the merchant has to settle at the end of the day. They have to batch their transactions. Then they've got to get paid later. They might get a hold on it. It's not actually really good for the merchant because mm -hmm. the merchant is the one taking all the risk and the consumers getting all the benefits. They get reward points, they get to spend capital they don't have, and they get a product that they can just return or complain or do a chargeback. So there's a lot for the consumer on Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover. There's the, the change is that in for crypto adoption, we're not trying to make a better Visa because the 10X rule is in effect where you really have to have something 10 times better in order for someone to switch just to get the same thing. You either have to give them something new, like completely new, like sovereignty, like mm -hmm. traceability, like uh, decentralized, censorship resistant, borderless, open, those things that Bitcoin has that Visa does not have. Instead of trying to be a, you know, just a me too. Right. A, a mm -hmm. yes. Yes. Me. Me as well. You see what I'm saying there? I do see what you're saying. Yeah. And maybe that's kind of the nuance there is that Bitcoin isn't necessarily trying 
to be those things. Bitcoin is kind of fighting this huge monumental fight, uh, uh, trying to reestablish that what is money? Like that sure. that question is something that any other technology that comes from this point forward will not have a leg to stand on. I think when it comes to to a, a money that isn't owned by a state entity, I think Bitcoin is the forerunner there and is going to always not always, but is the forerunner. So, well, that's where they've got the fast, cheap and secure Bitcoin is so tilted on the secure side that fast really can't change because you've got in the code, in the protocol itself, this 10 minute target per block. And that with that comes the, you know, the one megabyte block size, which is part of the cheap part of the fast, right? Because Mm -hmm. it, it would be, it might be faster if the block size was bigger, but you might compromise on on other things. So a bigger block size gives you cheap and secure still, you know, and it helps with the the fast. But just the term big block uh, incites issues with uh, fundamentalists, you know, you know, Bitcoin maximalists who's, who think that, you know, you're talking about, you know, <laughs> you're calling their baby ugly. And you mm-hmm. might go to something, well, of course, that's when the, the weapons come out because it's like, no, you're not allowed to talk about anything other than good things for Bitcoin. I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to troll you because you're threatening their stockpile. You know, someone who's got a thousand Bitcoin, they're not going to let you talk about Ethereum. They're not going to let you talk about Bitcoin cash or some other fork. They're going to downplay any role that mm-hmm. you have in talking about Zero layer. Oh, maybe there could be something else. Well, before you talk about something else, let's make sure we understand what we're talking about. Yep. That's right. People try to protect their bags. But before we hop into the interview, let's have some fun. Let's make some price predictions. You ready to make some price predictions? Yeah. (laughs) It's the best time of the show. I just want to do this every show. Corey was like, we're not going to talk about the price every episode. And I was like, yeah, we are. Because people <laughs> people are definitely want to know. Bitcoin's like nine thousand seven hundred when I looked last night. Um, I did see GBTC, which is Grayscale Bitcoin Investment Trust or something like that. There went down four percent yesterday. I think right yeah, but after it was going up more up. than four percent, right? You know, yeah, right there. So it had a big jump, and I thought that oh, okay, you know, that's my little stupid indicator that I use. I'm like, oh, okay, GBTC is moving. It means Bitcoin's gonna be moving, baby. Uh, so I think Bitcoin would get over ten thousand soon. I I think this is I think we're gonna follow the exact same path, Wayne, that we've followed for the last eight years, and that is after the happening, about six to eight months after the happening, shit starts to hit the fan in a good way, and I'm starting to feel like Jay Z on a boat in a big pimping video. Like, cause my, my Bitcoin's value is going up incredibly. Um, but it does start to feel like that exact same buzz is in the air. So it is hard to to comp to um, handle the inherent bias that we both have. Mm-hmm. We want the price to go up. Um. So you know, <laughs> aligning the incentives is difficult in this situation because 
it's easy for us to say, or anyone who wants it to go up to say, oh, well, it'll double in price because we know other people will hear that, they'll buy in and it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy in some way. So trying to be cognizant of the inherent bias that I have towards price, I, I still think we, we're still early. I think in the next year, we will exceed 20K, I think probably hit to the 30, 40K for a number of reasons the election, the unrest, the more and more people getting aware of what money is, you know, from the Mike Maloney series, the uh, Ray Dalio series, the YouTubers like Ivan on Tech and the Modern Investor and Crypto Daily and Data Dash, all those YouTube influencers who continue to have a, a decent message. It's not just hype. And it's more about, look, if you understood how money works you and you understood what sovereign money or um, what was the, the term? You, you guys used it last week. Uh, it's a pretty common term with um, the store value and, you know, um, medium it's not exchange. stable money. But no, it's medium a account. kind of money. It's, uh, uh, I don't know. There's There's a word there that I'm missing. But the all the different factors between people understanding and also the fact that crypto and Bitcoin appeal to pretty much every demographic. It's like, there's something in it for Democrats. There's something in it for Republicans. There's something in it for men. There's something in it for women. I mean, every, there's something in it for the rich. There's something in it for the poor. There's something, I mean, every dichotomy and every uh, polarity that you can come up with there's a crypto that yeah. specifically addresses that. People who are into charity, well, there's crypto for charity. People into real estate, there's a crypto that amplifies what real estate and tokenization of the things are. There's smart contracts for the coders and the geeks. There's um, transparency for the people who want their government to be more transparent. There's so many lures for such a wide arena. I mean, I don't know how many things we have that can appeal to both sides of so many coins you know what i mean mm -hmm. uh so price is gonna be 15 million dollars per bitcoin <laughs> and no i'm kidding um I, I do think bitcoin goes over the twenty thousand hump and i think that happens within the next year so i, I think it happens before the end of the year you think so um yeah well part of it I, I know we've talked about the institutional herd quote unquote but specifically you mentioned gbdc the the only way to get bitcoin in your 401k is through an instrument that is regulated at least in the us there's bitcoin tracker one over in uh sweden or norway i forget which one um and so there's a bitcoin and ethereum tracker over there there's gbdc grayscale has a few of them and you know who knows, a black swan event like ETF getting approved, what would that do the price, right? Uh, there might be some bad things with ETF in terms of other things that we want Bitcoin to do, but the, the fact that people can take some of their retirement money and put a little bit into crypto, quote unquote, safely, again, abandoning the custody discussion for a second, are people gonna take that money, withdraw it, take the 10% plus the 20% tax hit and then try to figure out how to custody their own crypto and have a 
uh, an heir, you know, a, a secession plan, you know, an inheritance mm-hmm. plan for their for their family. Uh, they could just get GBTC and they can just do three clicks, blah, blah, blah. And then they buy it yep. and they can get into Ethereum and they can ride the wave along with everything else. I think that is what will help the price. And the higher the price goes, the worse the fees get because of, you know, it's, it's Satoshi's per byte that you have to pay in a fee. And then I think it even more cements the store of value narrative versus currency and then lightning gets better. Uh, things like wrapped Bitcoin and and Kyber Network and other things that can use Bitcoin store of value in a currency method. That is exciting because then you kind of solve currency with something else. You keep Bitcoin as store of value and strength of security and you just let it synchronize every 10 minutes, mm-hmm. right? I, I think that is a future that is pretty possible. And I think major advancements, like if we made Electrum easy, if we if there was a new front end to Electrum, and, which is a wallet that you can use, if we made things easier, I think adoption would go up pretty quick. And with adoption comes liquidity and price. Mm. So that's $16 million. I'll readjust. No. Um, obviously, price is going up, guys. I'm telling that hashtag not investment advice. Hashtag it might be investment advice. Hashtag you can't sue me. Hashtag don't try. Um, but what is it? Is it the three three hundred thousand? I think it's in. If Bitcoin hits in the three hundred thousands, then we equal the market cap of gold. I don't remember the exact number, but I, I seem to recall that if Bitcoin is around three hundred thousand ish, might be two fifty, might be three fifty, but. When that happens, then we equal the market cap of gold. And then we are at a place where it's like, okay, how could people not have some of their portfolios in crypto when it's the same market cap as gold and it has these other benefits that gold doesn't have? Mm -hmm. That then brings us to the million. I mean, do you see how that would happen? Yeah, you have it really quickly. So, Uh, So without further ado, we're going to cut on in to the interview from Dr. Amin Goon Sarir. Uh, he's a brilliant, brilliant professor uh, that um, lived, made his living and career off of distributed systems, um, which, you know, this is before all of this Bitcoin stuff back in the 90, 80s, 90s. I mean, he's been studying these things for a very long time and there were lots of options other than what Satoshi Nakamoto did and he talks to those in the interview and he talks to you know how you know SHA-256 isn't the isn't the best thing out there but it's something that exists and um, you know talks about his vision as far as where the space needs to go and he had a very old blog called Hacking Distributed um, which was amazing. He, uh, you know, introduced several uh, BIPs, which is a Bitcoin improvement protocol. Some of them good, some of them, or not good, some of them people love, some of them people didn't love. Um, I mean, all kinds of BIPs. He, he had a BIP where if someone steals your money, like they've somehow gotten access to your private key and you didn't give them access, you could sweep that Bitcoin out of wherever they just sent it to. Um, now, obviously, that's dangerous because somebody could, you know, it's essentially a chargeback, 
right? But um, he has all kinds of ideas like that all the time that he's trying to implement and talk with the core devs of Bitcoin. Um, and then eventually he just made uh, what, what you'll know is Ava. Um, it's, a, it's a new network um, that uh, is pretty formidable. So we go into all of that in the interview. So here it is. And hello, everyone. This is uh, this is going to be an awesome interview, a special interview. And um, it, it's Dr. Goon Sarir, but I mean, you're kind of like a celebrity on my show. I, I'm like a, a huge fan of you. I, I think that's kind of weird to be a fan of like like a professor, but whatever. It is what it is. Uh-huh. Judge me if you want to, audience. Uh, but I've kind of been following you since like way back in the day you had the blog hacking distributed, I think is what it was. And, uh, you were just a huge outspoken proponent of Bitcoin. And at the time when I got into Bitcoin, that's exactly what I needed was somebody who could speak cogently about Bitcoin and also constructively criticize it. And so I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is somebody I'm going to, I'm going to listen to him. And then fast forward the clock, like six years later, no, seven years later, and we're at Ava. So um, I guess I'll stop spewing at the mouth and I'll, I'll let you go once again, re- reintroduce yourself to our audience, and then we'll just dive right in. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm likewise a huge fan of the show and a huge fan, of course, of the, of the crypto space. Uh, you're absolutely right. I've been around for some time, and um, I had always been interested in crypto and cryptocurrencies, and of course, distributed systems. I built some uh, early systems. I think I built the first uh, system that had proof of work minting in it. It was a, call, a system called Karma, and uh, it predated Bitcoin. Uh, that was built in 2002, published in 2003, and um, uh, and then of course Satoshi came after me and. Uh, did uh, did his enormous uh, enormous uh, breakthrough uh you know built a bunch of other things that i didn't have in karma and uh, and of course gave rise to the movement that we're all a part of and uh after that i worked on looking at bitcoin security i worked on bitcoin vaults and covenants for security of funds at rest i worked on layer two solutions i worked on uh, smart contracts i called out the dow hack before it happened and uh, I don't know, I've been generally around, uh, but these <laughs> days all my focus is on Ava and, uh, and, uh, and everything that we're doing that's associated with that new platform. Awesome. I think that, um, well, I have, a, I have a theory. Can you correct me if I'm wrong on my theory? My, my sure. theory what is, is um, so I, I read your blogs and I followed you and it feels like you spent so much time trying to be constructive and help crypto as a whole. And now you're just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just build it myself and I'll build it great. I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't really need you guys really. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it on my own because you guys don't seem to be paying attention. Is that what it is? Or am I making up that theory in my head? No, there, there is an element of that. There is an element of that. You're right. So, um, you know, so you know, you can only lead uh, so so much from from the sidelines, right? By calling out the truth and trying to be scientific, trying to do the right things, etc. 
uh, is hard when you've got so many actors with economic interests and um, and they run interference they they create friction for you and so forth and um, and so at some point uh, you know you kind of look around and you're like look these people are okay and this movement is is great it's wonderful um, but it's technically not moving as fast as it could and uh, and people sort of uh, conglomerate around certain protocols they ossify the protocol they're unable to change it for whatever reason and then they get stuck and um, and so it's time to just lead by example and say look there was a great dream we all bought into that dream and now to deliver that dream we have to do certain things and if you all aren't going to do that then then here's a here's 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 another effort and uh and so that was definitely part of the impetus behind ava um but you know there were other other aspects to it as well it's the avalanche protocol is such a big breakthrough that somebody has to run with it to the to the end line uh to the goal goal line and um and so so i i felt like i had to do that um and then there is an element of course of you know there's a lot of that people out there who are doing great work and uh, and by no means do i want to or could i even compete with them the defi space is fantastic there's so much excitement over there um so to the extent that people are doing great work wonderful so i, I i'm not going to do anything to compete with them uh, but but there are areas where we've stalled uh layer one i think in general layer ones have stalled and uh and i wasn't seeing enough action there um dexes they've stalled um stable coins of different kinds i think they've stalled and so on and so forth um so uh so in those areas uh, we've decided to go ahead and, and develop our own solutions so why do you think they stalled well i think a lot of it is that the space has gotten fractured and uh, we've seen people come up um Now, everybody knows what's necessary right the dream is is the same for everyone so richard feynman used to say that every worthwhile area has at any one time one or two big problems in it and um that's true for blockchains as well so you've got the scalability problem as the foreboding problem in blockchains it's it's just it haunts every chain and every newcomer you know starting with let's say justin sun is making the same noises oh it's scalable oh it's like you know quick finality this and that but they don't know how to achieve and live up to the noises they're making and the only way that they can do this is by is by pulling tricks there about like seven or eight different tricks you can do to lie about your tps numbers uh, all of them involve not all of them but most of them involve compromising on decentralization so then they do that you've got all these new chains coming up and it's like oh you know new protocol this new protocol that none of these protocols are actually new if you look under the covers and and they're all making this fundamental trade off so so that's and, but but then okay so then that's a lot of the problem um and then people buy into this and now you've got communities um you know gelling around these dead protocols and some of them die like literally die i think there was i'm not going to name them there was a protocol that was dead for weeks it just couldn't clear a single cr- transaction there was a hack <laughs> <Okay>. and <laughs> and they stopped and uh so uh so you know and my heart goes out to the people who bought into that protocol i i actually like the, that that crowd not maybe the leaders but certainly the people in it they they bought in with good intent and uh and now the protocol is is dead but what can they do like they bought in there's no escape out so suddenly you you're in this ossified situation you're in this gridlock and 
And so, you know, so suddenly, you know, ultimately what happens is there aren't enough people uh, to uh, to rally around the new protocol. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, it actually becomes hard. Like these days, if you try to start a new platform, it's going to be met with skepticism more than support. I would argue yeah, what you just said, I believe, is just really true. But I think the lack of the ability to not innovate, to not bring forth anything novel because like the 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 cultish echo chambery behavior of communities in general is going to be around because we're all humans but that was all happening around things that weren't changing much because people were just like you said performing a few tricks to amplify a number that doesn't actually mean anything that wasn't really Mm -hmm. the bottleneck in a lot of these circumstances at least um in an open permissionless sense Mm -hmm. and and so like what you saw was a lot of people kind of playing tricks and no real innovation. Why do you think that innovation never occurred? Was it just a fundamental lack of understanding the like the problem and the bottlenecks and nobody broadcasting the fact that like this metric that everyone's trying to vie for, this TPS, this mm-hmm. transactions per second was actually pretty worthless? So yeah, both, both actually. So part, I would say 80% of the problem was um, we wanted better uh, performance in general, not just throughput, but performance in general. But we did not have the, the means to get there. So the protocols we knew, they all could be classified into two categories. Uh, the uh, the Nakamoto uh, protocols, the, the ones that involve mining, and they have their own issues. Um, and then the, uh, the other ones, the classical protocols, um, all developed by mostly academics, mostly in the 90s. Um, I mean, those protocols are fine, but they were all discarded by Satoshi when he came in in 2009, right? So we knew what the problems were with the classical protocols as well. And I remember having this conversation with uh, Adam Back, Peter Wooler, and a couple of the other uh, Bitcoin Core developers in Malta uh, at uh, this this crypto conference that we were having there maybe three years ago. And... uh, and Peter Gula looked at me and said, you know, I was trying to be sort of uh, conciliatory. I was like, hey, guys, you know, so, you know, what's like, this was my last ditch effort um, to say, you know, what what can one do about the blockchain, uh, you know, the blocks, block size debate? What could we go go forward with? And uh, Peter Gula said this and, and he was right, like 1000 percent right. He said, look, we could probably make the block size a little bigger. We could make it, you know, whatever, 2x bigger, maybe 3x bigger. No problem without a cut from uh, decentralization, but you just can't get to visa levels with this. And and he's right. So with that technology, you just can't get there. And so so it's just not possible. We needed a new understanding. We needed a new category of protocols that did not have to make a decentralization trade-off to give you better performance. So, and that didn't exist back then. Three years ago, there was nothing on the horizon that could give you, say, you know, a few thousand transactions per second uh, without having to centralize the protocol. And uh, luckily, we're in a much better place now. We have a new protocol and uh, it works <laughs> completely differently from every other one. And uh, it's as big a breakthrough as the uh, Nakamoto consensus was uh, back in 2008-9. And so, uh, so now we're in a much better space. How do you get over the like the mental hangups for some people that have been into crypto for like, you know, almost nearly a decade? Some people a decade strong and they've got all these behaviors built up, all these 
presumptions because that's how they've always interacted uh, with blockchain tech uh, uh-huh. until now. And Ava is is is, is kind of a lot different. Um, just yeah. when I hear Kevin talk to it and I hear Colin talk to it, I almost have to re. It's almost like I have to flush everything I knew about crypto down the toilet and start from scratch. And are yeah, you worried? So, <laughs> that's it. Uh-huh. Are you worried yeah. that that kind of hangup uh, can be a detriment to the growth of Ava? Uh, no, not really at all. Um, and uh, so let's see. So Ava is not. I mean, it's fundamentally different in how it operates. It doesn't necessarily. Uh, I mean, it does turn a couple of things upside down. Um, but it doesn't invalidate some of the core things that people have been saying. And um, so um, I do two things to try to break through this uh, log jam that you're referring to. One of them is, you know, science has a way of always breaking through. So if somebody's saying something, they're repeating something that is incorrect, then uh, it'll be shown to be wrong. Uh, you know, if you just consistently and calmly repeat the same message. And there are examples of this everywhere. So it's not just... Bitcoin maximalists saying things that are incorrect. Also, you know, the Ethereum folks are, you know, they've, they've been misled as well, by mistake, not, not by you know, malintent. Uh, but, you know, they believe, for example, that you have to have slashing, that a protocol without slashing uh, would not be secure. And uh, this has been, you know, accepted as fact throughout the Ethereum community. And it's only in the last couple of months that uh, we start pointing out, you know, look, Bitcoin doesn't have slashing, it's secure. So, so it's, uh, and, but I didn't, I hadn't actually realized this. So if you see, I mean, I knew that slashing was not necessary, but you, you slowly develop the narratives to win people over. Um, that's one. And then the other thing, of course, is you target use cases that other people are not targeting. So Ava is going after uh, money flows and workflows and business, business workflows that have nothing to do with what Bitcoin is trying to do. So, um, Bitcoin has a, a, a monumental fight ahead of it. It's trying to compete with the U.S. dollar. And, and it's not trying to, for example, represent other digital assets. In fact, trying to get digital assets represented on the Bitcoin blockchain was met with, with pushback, with dismay. Um, you know, the op return op code that was added uh, for this, you know, that was all, uh, it was a fight. Um, so Bitcoin isn't really cut out for uh, for supporting digital assets. And um, and so and Ethereum is not either for a variety of reasons. So, uh, you know, we are doing things that other people don't do and can't do and have a blind spot for. But the one dynamic that you point out is this. Um, you know, when Ethereum came out, how the Bitcoiners were like, Oh, you don't need this. You don't. You don't. There's no need for Turing complete scripting languages. You don't need smart contracts. You wouldn't do it this way. You would do it some other way. They, 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 they didn't understand what was necessary. They had a blind spot for the need for Ethereum, and Ethereum has been a huge success. And and in the same fashion, uh, there is a blind spot that Bitcoiners and Ethereum folks both have for what's missing from both systems. And so those are the areas we're going into. And uh, we're, we're pushing for use cases that uh, that exemplify why you need that level of control over the, the system and over the platform. What are these blind spots? What are these people that like what are these what are these things that the other communities that are uh, the, the, the large communities as of right now completely missing? Sure. Um, let me try to organize my thoughts around this. So uh, number one is the need to support digital assets at the core level. 
Ethereum, even Ethereum, which has been used for a variety of digital assets, uh, does not actually do this. In Ethereum, you have the concept of ERC-20s. An ERC-20 token is represented as code. As far as the miners are concerned, as far as the system is concerned, ERC-20s are just instructions they execute. They don't know that it, they, what they're doing is uh, managing a digital gold transaction or a real estate transaction or some other asset. They have no idea. That asset could be worth billions. They wouldn't know. In fact, a bit, uh, an Ethereum miner has no way of tapping into the value flow that, that uh, he or she is securing at the network level. So that's a huge blind spot. And, um, and in fact, we're going to have a, a flippening of sorts at some point where the value uh, secured by Ethereum is in excess of Ethereum's own value. And when you get into a situation like that, certain kinds of attacks become possible. And, um, and so that's, that's one big issue. Um, and and uh, second, um, they are blind to the fact that these assets require different handling. So a real estate transaction needs different things compared to, uh, I don't know, let's say a uh, cheap payment, a micropayment. And yet we have a one size fits all approach. So uh, they're, all, they're all instructions to Ethereum or they're all payments to, to Bitcoin, but they shouldn't be. Like somebody uh, went in and put the entirety of records of the state of Georgia um, in, uh, into the Bitcoin blockchain and they're handled like a regular Bitcoin transaction. That's not exactly right. Uh, the real estate transactions, they have archival needs. And, uh, and so, you know, nobody's managing that and uh, you're just kind of YOLOing it uh, when you're storing your transactions on a chain like that. And, um, and the final thing is control over the network. And this is actually probably one of the biggest areas. Um, the entirety of the space, there are 2,000 plus coins. They all do pretty much the same thing, which is they have one coin, one scripting language, one virtual machine that implements that coin, and then one network that, uh, that runs that virtual machine. So this is good, you know, and they sell their coins and they shill it and so forth. But what you really want to do, uh, or what enterprises want to do, what people with actual value in their hands want to do, is they want to digitize this value. They want to control how it behaves. They want to have some say over the virtual machine that uh, manages this, uh, this asset. And they want to have some control over what happens when there is, for example, an unforeseen circumstance. There's a bug in the virtual machine. There's a bug in the smart contract that implements this thing. What do you do then? And so until now, we had this dichotomy. You either go permissionless and you are you know, left to your own devices. There's no take back sees if there's a bug. Oh shit, you know, looks like the, uh, the hacker took all the, all the digital assets. So, you know, uh, you know, whatever. So that's, that's what you're <laughs> stuck with, right? So you put your marriage on the blockchain. Oh, your wife belongs to the, the Ukrainian hack store now. So that's, I mean, I'm kind of caricaturizing it, but that was, that's pretty much what an enterprise is facing today. When if you go to an enterprise and say, you're going to put this thing on a public blockchain and it's going, going to be out of your control, uh, all of the CTOs say, no, that's crazy. Um, and so what's their, what has been their solution until recently, they were saying, well, okay, if I, since that can't be good for me, I will exert control over these circumstances by starting by my, my own permission chain. Cool. So they all go to Hyperledger and then they try to have their own consortia coin or consortia system. And then those things go nowhere. 
So one of the things we're doing in Ava is allow people to have control over the network so that they can start uh, any number of assets they like. They control the virtual machines that, that, that implement those assets in full. You, you don't, you're not just beholden to the, uh, the Ethereum virtual machine or whatnot. You can introduce any VM and you get to control who's part of your system. You can say, to participate in the system, you have to sign this agreement. This is how we're going to, to deal with, uh, with errors or bugs or whatever. Uh, or you can say, to participate in this system, you have to be in US jurisdiction. You have to abide by the GDPR or whatnot. You can create these semi-open systems where anyone can join, but they have a common joint predicate that unites them that, that allows you to say, okay, this is how I manage the unforeseeable circumstances. So, um, so this, I think, is, uh, is the, the, the spectrum. It allows Ava to cover the spectrum between permission and permissionless. This is what allows us to go to enterprises and say, this is how you should be digitizing your assets. Not on some public blockchain where you lose control, not on some bespoke you know, consortia that is going sure to fall apart and that you don't have the energy to put together anyway. But, but as part of a, a system, a platform that's designed for this kind of control. I want to put a few thoughts in there that maybe give some context to why the other platforms may have missed these things mm -hmm. um, and why you're able to remedy them using uh, the, like the Snow family of consensus. Mm -hmm. and that's, I guess, in Snow, it's the first time since... Bitcoin was created where you have a system that the consensus layer is separated from the state layer, which means Absolutely. that like the decision-making process doesn't care about what it's making decisions on. Mm -hmm. um, and when you have proof of work chains and proof of stake chains, especially the way they're implemented currently, uh, or at least like most of the proof of work chains that are in existence and definitely try to do something and it didn't work out. Um, but like, the, the the transactions that went into each block changed what the proof of work had to be in order to be uh, finalized, and so you were always like inextricably mixed together. My was my audio. Doing you got funky. Your audio got funky. One second. I'll start that over here in a second. Yeah. Okay. So, like when. The proof of work was forced to make decisions on what state that was being changed each time a block was hit and how it did that proof of work depended upon what transactions got fit into the blocks, which meant you have an inexorable link and tie between the things that are being changed, the state changes, and the decision-making process, which will, which will limit you and force you to kind of uh, forget about all those things you just said because it kind of forces you into a single channel of doing things um, because you kind of, that just, that's the way that architecture ends up working. And, and, and Snow doesn't do that. It completely divorces the decision-making process from whatever it's making a decision on, which gives you a lot more freedom to do all the stuff that you just said. Am I understanding that correctly? That's exactly right. So uh, yeah, Ava is, is, a, is a base layer. It's a platform for other people to implement their own chains. Um, Ava uh, achieves consensus, just like you said, without caring for what it is that it's achieving consensus on. It's it's sort of essentially making decisions on blobs, and um, and so that's what allows us to have multiple virtual machines. We, for example, today support our own virtual machine, 
we support the Ethereum virtual machine, we plan to support Wasm, and uh, so we're in a very, very unique situation. I don't know of any other chain that supports multiple separate virtual machines, and mm -hmm. we give you control over participation in the network as well. So, like, if, if Bitcoin were going, like, layer one, it would all be, like, layer zero now? It's going before that. It's, 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 because um, I saw when you were at um, DevCon, I think last year, and you kind of unveiled Ava, uh, you showed everyone that you could run Ethereum on Ava, and people were still mm -hmm. like, you know, they were like, what? I don't, I don't really get it. Um, but you could still do that. I mean, can you do that with, with any um, token that exists right now? Or is absolutely. it specifically... And, okay, go ahead. No, no, absolutely. So you could take any coin and uh, 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 take its virtual machine and, and move it, uh, port it over onto Ava and, uh, and j then change the consensus layer with Ava's super fast consensus. And you will have suddenly a new coin that, that performs much faster, better, right? You'll have finality in about a second and uh, you'll have 6,500 transactions per second. So, uh, so you're going to be in a, in a different uh, category altogether while retaining every other aspect of the same coin. So we've been thinking about doing this with some existing, existing coins. Uh, so BCH would be a very good candidate, given that its hash rate is, is uh, low and potentially open to attack. Um, IOTA would be a good candidate. They've been having difficulty trying to uh, <laughs> uh, get rid of their coordinator. And uh, we could just change the, you know, we could just support uh, an IOTA uh, replacement that is actually truly decentralized. Uh, but also truly, you know, just for any other coin as well. Like, why would you use some archaic technology? Why would you leak value constantly to a couple of uh, Chinese miners who have cheap electricity and GPU farms or ASIC farms? You shouldn't be doing these things. You should, you should be doing this the modern, modern way and get some really good performance uh, along the way. So... When it comes to the finality, why is that so important to a business uh, to, to get them to start thinking in those terms? Sorry, my dog is no. Hey, hey, to get them to start thinking in those terms of finality when businesses, um, they're very familiar with how long they have to wait on settlement. Um, like I, I operate yeah. for businesses now and I just understand that it's on average three days uh, before my money's final. And that's just the way it is with the size of the transactions that we do. That's just the way it is. I mean, sometimes they're quick and they're final. It's like an ACH, but mm -hmm. if it's a credit card payment, we're just waiting on it um, before we can mm -hmm. pay our bills or, you know, pay uh, payroll, do those things. We've just got to wait on it. So how do you stress to a business like, hey, you know, finality is important and this fixes that mm -hmm. wait. So typically businesses come to us and say finality is important to me. <laughs> so um, it is. Uh, so I'm I saying it. <laughs> yeah, it, and I, I, I don't have to sell this to, to the kind of business for which it's important. So um, for payment use cases, especially, you really want to be able to say this payment has been made, done, deducted from the sender, you know, accrued to the recipient immediately. We can do this in, in less than a second. Um, and uh so, in fact, I keep saying less than a second, you know, at, at the current time, it's about a few hundred milliseconds is how long it takes for us to achieve complete finality. This is an hour on Bitcoin, by the way. So, um, uh, so this allows payments, right? You can walk up to somebody and, uh, and pay for whatever you want to pay for 
and it's done, it's complete, um, and uh, and we can do this at, uh, at yeah, with huge performance at huge scale. So we can do it at 6,500 transactions per second, which is uh, faster than Visa. Uh, and when and we were doing this, we had 2,000 nodes in the network. So it's not uh, it's not like we um, centralized everything to a data center and measured it. This is you know this is an actual decentralized system, more you know way more decentralized than uh, any other coin actually. So um so okay so what's this good for? Obviously payments use cases are great. Um, having uh, having high throughput is especially important if you want to support um, uh, the so the demanding applications. What are the demanding applications? Well, these DEXs, for example, are supremely demanding, mm-hmm. and uh, they have both quick, uh, quick finality needs and throughput needs. And um, and if you look at you know what's happening on Ethereum, DEXs are actually very popular. There's a lot of very bright uh, folks working on DEXs on Ethereum, and they're all hampered by the fact that their DEX is always at least 15 seconds behind reality. And talk to anybody who trades and tell them you, you can only trade on a platform that's 15 seconds behind reality. It's a non-starter. It's an eternity. 15 seconds is just, you know, might as well be 15 years, right? People only trade on DEXs on, uh, when they when that's the, the, the location of uh, last resort, when they cannot trade anywhere else. So we can change that with AVA. AVA is so fast that I can run uh, actual... Uh, you know, actual DEX code at, at an immense clip and uh, and completely change the equation on how assets are traded. Mm. 6,500 transactions per second is like, isn't that like a thousand times faster than what Bitcoin can do, Corey? I mean, that's pretty yeah, fast. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I once again, Mike, people, I, I, I want to... Reiterate that that number is. Go ahead, sorry. I was just gonna. I was just gonna help people visualize this. Um, so uh, Bitcoin's main chain uh, achieves three to seven transactions per second. So Bitcoin is not trying to scale there. So this is not a diss on Bitcoin. It's just a factoid. Um, so uh, uh, so Bitcoin is trying to scale somewhere else at layer two with Lightning and so forth, which we can discuss. But. Um, uh, on the main chain, it's three to seven transactions per second. And um, if you go to IKEA on a non-pandemic day, on a Saturday, I think that's about three to seven transactions per second. For people in, uh, you know, in in San Francisco, the Bay Bridge is about three transactions per second. Uh, the Manhattan Bridges is is about fifteen transactions per second, which is Ethereum's current speed. So uh, Ava is about a thousand times faster than that. So within a millisecond, we do about uh, about what uh, what these systems do in a second. So um, it's pretty darn fast. And uh, oh, so Visa Visa is seventeen hundred transactions per second. So we are about three times faster than Visa. We're not running a dedicated data center. It's not a single entity. Mm. I was pretty much going to say the same thing. And it's also one of those situations where it's three to seven transactions on Bitcoin at the base layer um, that requires multiple confirmations that you know take about 10 hours to have the confidence that you want. Um, dude, I got to stop talking. My audio keeps fucking up. Yeah, I don't know why that keeps Basically happening. Take this one over. You can just take this one over. I mean, if people, my audio's screwing up a little bit. People want more technical details on how this works. Um, they, I, I definitely invite them to go listen to 
the hashing it out episode where Kevin and Steven uh, come on and talk a little bit more about the technical implementations of how this works and why it can do a lot of the things that um, Emin is saying, because I had a lot of questions. I've, I've continuously had a lot of questions and trying to grasp um, a very intuitive understanding of, of why they can say the things that they're saying. Mm-hmm. I've always had confidence in, in, in Goon Sreer talk about these things because of his background and my previous experience talking with him about certain things and his honesty and hacking distributed. Uh, but like, you still need that intuition. And it really is about like, the way this operates is drastically different than other consensus protocols, which allows you to build things in a very, very different way, which then allows you to kind of experiment and parameterize and have all this like variability that, that, that enables you to have like to, to serve these people the way they need to be served instead of forcing them into a specific type of relationship that kind of proof of work blockchains mm-hmm. currently have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's a much more expressive system. Yeah, this is what this is why I keep saying like we can do those things that other people don't don't cannot do, and they have a blind spot for that they don't realize uh, that that their lives would be much better if if only they 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 could do them. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't pay to be closed minded? That's the moral of the story. Um, I got I guess I got a few questions. My first question is, what about like the cost of things? When I when I first came into Bitcoin, it was a no brainer for me. I was like, oh, I can send a transaction anywhere on the planet for free? Yeah, banks, it's over. This is the new, this is that new hot shit. But now, fast forward seven years, and it's like, mm, it's not free. It's not always free. In fact, it's never free. And then sometimes it's really expensive. Or maybe not, or maybe. It's just like a huge question mark. And how does Avo like, uh, compare? Uh, or should I say contrast? to bitcoin's current state when it comes to that right right so when you have um, a very limited resource then of course and and demand for it then the price for it goes up and this is what we saw uh, you know on every chain on on bitcoin and ethereum the two most successful platforms when demand goes up the fees spike and um, and sometimes spike to insane amounts like 55 dollars to send a bitcoin transaction we saw this about Mm -hmm. uh, about two years ago so that's a fact of life. It's going to happen on Ava as well, but it surely helps to have a uh, an infrastructure that uh, that has high capacity. So um, because we can clear so many transactions, uh, you know, uh, the, by the time we hit uh, these high numbers, then uh, the, um, uh, the you know the, the the chain will be will be handling so many more transactions per second. So. If we just have, for example, we could probably take all of crypto right now, put it on Ava, and uh, and it would still be under under 6,500 transactions per second, right? And so, uh, so for the fees to spike, you have to have demand that exceeds capacity. And when you have such excess capacity, then your fee story becomes really simple. We do not need a complicated fee market. We do not need complex shenanigans when trying to attach <laughs> a fee to a transaction. Uh, because the capacity is so high. It's that simple. Mm. I guess my my second question is, have you had the foresight to think, because there wasn't always layer two, there wasn't always this lightning network, or what is it, plasma on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Layer two was this verbiage that started to naturally emerge when people were like, oh, no, we need a bigger ladder. Like, it it was just this, this, this language that started to emerge. 
is there going to have to be another layer for Abba? Is there something that you know, like, hey, I, you know, I didn't spend much time on that aspect of uh, value or how value is transacted. I'm going to need another layer to fix that or to mm-hmm. offload that. So I've thought a lot about layer two. Um, I built the world's fastest layer two called T-Chan uh, a long time ago, maybe two, two and a half, three years ago. Um, that was on top of Bitcoin. And, uh, and I thought about building a company around that. Um, and, uh, so there are two things that people sort of, uh, don't see when uh, thinking about layer twos. Um, number one, the main thing that they miss is the, um, the, the, the function of the blockchain of layer one as a rendezvous point, you should be able to always go to the blockchain and connect with people that you want to connect with. Um, and the blockchain is the medium that, that creates that, that forges that connection. So if you send people off to layer two and, and you ignore this, uh, the sort of the unifying, the rendezvous operation of the blockchain, you end up leaving people on their own. It becomes really difficult to write uh, code uh, that, uh, that takes advantage of, of these newly emerging layer twos. Lightning actually does still use the, uh, uh, you know, it has this, it creates its own network, but it kind of uses the, the, the underlying chain for, for rendezvous. But these emerging uh, ideas on Ethereum, there are lots of side chains, lots of layer twos on top of Ethereum. Quite a few of them ignore the fact that, that you still need to find your counterparties. And, uh, and, and normally the, the layer one is how you locate your counterparty. In fact, you don't have to locate them. You locate layer one and you're done. There's that convenience. So there are a lot of solutions coming on that have very complex mechanisms. They become Rube Goldberg machines very, very quickly. So that's one huge problem with, uh, with layer two solutions. Uh, the second problem with layer two is that um, they, uh, they, change, uh, they change the way you write applications and uh, they force you into different patterns. And, um, and, uh, and of course, those patterns typically uh, suffer from lack of lack of liquidity, lack of capacity in the in the layer in the new next layer that you went up to. Uh, privacy concerns are very different in these uh, layer twos compared to the underlying platforms, and the user experience is completely different. A lot of mm-hmm. people have difficulty or had difficulty, you know, just dealing with Bitcoin. And then you look at Lightning, and the failure modes are so complex that. Uh, but it's it's just it's just it's always been a nightmare, and I don't really see how that could be resolved anytime soon. So um, so yeah, so I'm not a big fan of layer two solutions. I did not build on Tchan. I did not think that it was going to go anywhere commercially, um, and I have grave doubts about any company who's solely doing a layer two solution. I do not think that any of them will be successful, at least in the short term. And our goal on, in AVA is to have the layer one be so fast, so versatile that uh, 99.9% of all problems can be resolved at layer one. And, um, you know, if anybody wants to go to layer two, we, of course, support, you know, we provide the primitives for building things on top of layer twos on AVA. Uh, that's, that's easy and so on and so forth. Um, but I personally would love to see everything resolved at the chain layer. Nice. Um... Tell us about your testnet. Ah, the testnet. We just uh, switched over to a new one. This is the fourth one called Denali. And uh, so we've been, been through Aurora, Borealis, Cascade, and Denali now. And uh, uh, the fourth testnet just got started about three days ago. 
Um, it's uh, it's it's got 400 plus validators already on it. Uh, we've had about a thousand people sign up uh, to uh, to participate in this program that uh, that we're running to find bugs in it, um, or maybe more than a thousand, at least a thousand for sure. Um, so maybe we had a thousand people sign up for to be a validator, and we had a we had a couple thousand to to participate in the bug bounty. I think so. Um, uh, it's going strong. It's great. Uh, I encourage everybody to just go to. I don't know, to explore that Ava.network. That's a good starting point. Just take a look. Uh, this chain is fast. Uh, you could create a wallet for yourself by going to wallet.ava.network. And then you can go to faucet.ava.network and get some Avas, test Avas. You can play with them. Uh, you can see how fast the transactions are. Uh, they, they finalize in about the time it takes you to blink. So, you know, it's, it's super fast. And it's such, like, it's, it's really the latency, uh, the metric. Like, you were pointing this out earlier in the show um it's most people have never seen a really truly fast low latency chain and uh, once they see it they won't be able to go back you could build web applications at this speed you could change the back end to be an ava contract and so that's amazing it's really different anyway i get excited about this every time i play with it i encourage everyone to give it a go uh, starting point would be explorer.ava.network and uh, and then take a look at the faucet and the wallet all right, that's explorer.ava.network. We got one last trademark question. We're gonna we're gonna switch it up since you're in the league of your own, and you've been you've came to the show so many times uh, to educate us slash hang out. And that is in ten words or less. Can you describe Ava? How many words again? <laughs> no, just ten. I, you Demetric, you you know me. Look, look at me. Like I'm I'm an I'm an ex professor. I'm I'm verbose. I talk a lot. You know. <laughs> That's why I always challenge words. you. Just ten. Yeah. You got ten words. Yeah. Okay. Ten words. So um um okay. So building the Internet of Finance. That's my short face. The so Internet of Finance. I like that. Finance. We're going after finance. We're not going after being money. We are not trying to do what Bitcoin is trying to do. We're not trying to be a replacement for the dollar. We are trying to change Wall Street. Those guys like are it. doing a bunch of hokey things. And, and the things they're doing are, I mean, they will tell you themselves. They are layers upon layers of terrible coding practices, terrible business practices of trust at every layer and uh, things going wrong multiple times a year and a scandal every five years because there's so much room for malfeasance. So all of that is happening and we can just 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 wipe it all out and replace it with a platform that doesn't allow any of that to happen. So I'm really excited about our use case and our target uh, target applications. I like it. The Internet of Finance. I like the nuance of it because a lot of people don't understand there's between money and finance. There's there's a difference. Mm -hmm. So. Oh yeah. Um, well, Corey, I got nothing. If you got nothing, I think we can wrap it up. All right, we're gonna wrap it up because I think Corey's audio is funky. Uh, thank you very much, Doctor Emin Gunzarer, for coming on again. I hope that as Alva grows in both popularity and use, we can have you on again. And uh, we can discuss that next uh, milestone that I can. It feels Main something's net. a brooding. We're coming back on when mainnet happens. When mainnet happens. Okay. Sounds, sounds, sounds good to me, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure to chat with you. 
and uh, yeah we have a lot of stuff uh, planned in the works so um uh so yeah very excited about what's to come next year